you know, it's been an unusual and unexpected, um, not only privilege, but a delight to work with two Chris's and a Keith. Um, thank you on behalf of the community to Keith as chapel assistant, uh, to our two Chris's uh, for your leadership in worship. Um, you've always been, all of you have been keen uh, to help, uh, to offer sometimes last minute um, requests. You've, you've, you've adjusted your own schedules. Thank you. Um, and I want to say a special thank you to John McNally. Uh, John just came alongside, almost like a paraclete, um, came alongside and uh, helped us all. And I know there have been times when I haven't been able to be here, and you've shepherded that along. And I thank you, John, for your leadership with that. I want to say, too, this morning, um, a very special welcome to the Reverend Paul Warden, who is the pastor, minister at First Baptist in Truro. And Paul is here, a recent grad from Acadia, but today has a different hat on his head, uh, representing the Canadian Bible Society, and at the lunchtime will present Greek and Hebrew texts. Would you like to say just a brief word about that, Paul? Uh, thank, thank you, Gary. Uh, yeah, the Canadian Bible Society... Uh the Canadian Bible Society is uh, engaged in the work of translation, the publication, distribution, of, and engagement are for our COPAC, um, for our mission. And uh, uh, earlier this year, we met here with our newly um, appointed executive uh, director, Dr. Jonathan Dent. And it was at that time that we decided that uh, we wanted to be able to give to the language students here um, at Acadia Divinity College uh, texts in the, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew, and a little later, Today, after lunch, um, I think we'll get a chance to present those. And, Absolutely. Uh, we're very thankful for the opportunity. Oh, we are thankful for you being here and for the gifts as you bring them. And uh, this is always something, not always, but we've come to, shouldn't say expect, but we've come to really appreciate. Uh, I would say anticipate. How's that? That's a better word. Thank you, Paul, for being here. So, our guest the other day, as he gave his lecture... Uh, the Reverend Dr. Stuart Blythe gave the example about how the Good Samaritan wasn't ever entitled the Good Samaritan, except in the text above the text. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm preaching on that text on Sunday, I bet, or on Wednesday here, I better pay attention to what he's saying. I was happy that he said there are different approaches and different angles, and he had brought out four different messages at one point. So I'm going to be taking a little different spin on it. So... Listen up carefully, uh, thinking about some of the things we heard the other day from him. But one of my favorite passages, and I have some things that I want to just leave with you as we come to this, this uh, point in the year, and some of you will be graduating and moving on from us and leading in churches. So, this passage is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to the place where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now please remember the question that the expert in the law asked Jesus, which was, and who is my neighbor? But then the question that Jesus asked him at the end is, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So looking at this slightly differently, and there are many ways one could approach the text, I'm asking the question this morning, where is the inn? Last Saturday, our spiritual formation class had our retreat at the New Minus Baptist Church. And uh, we were led by the Reverend Mark Harris, and it was an excellent day. He did different disciplines with us, and one of the things he invited us to do was to take a walk outside. He said, now when you go outside and you go for a walk, I want you to listen to things. I want you to really be listening, and I want you to open your eyes. I want you to see things that maybe you wouldn't normally be seeing or you wouldn't normally be listening for, but just see what it is that God brings to your attention on this walk. We only had about 20 minutes, I think, or a half an hour. Some of us took a little more than 20 minutes, but in any case, we went walking and we were to go alone and we were to go walking and I just saw people dispersing and going in different directions. At the time I got out there, I decided, well, maybe I'd go for a walk just on the sidewalk, headed back toward uh, kind of into New Minus. But as I got along on the sidewalk, I was taken up with all the listening of the traffic. I thought, I don't want that. So I turned right and I went somewhere I'd never been. And I found, to my right, the Lockhart Ryan Memorial Park. Have you, anybody been to the Lockhart Ryan Memorial Park? So a number of you have been. It's a delightful place, isn't it? I mean, uh, the park houses a splash pad, three soccer fields, the Lockhart Ryan's number one, two, and three of those. 
uh, beach volleyball courts, Miller ball field, the mini soccer pitch, maintenance buildings, tennis courts, basketball courts, playground, picnic areas, the recreation department office, the trail system, club host, the upper ball field, washroom facilities, ample parking and space. <laughs> Activities that take place in the park all year round include walking, jogging, trail hiking, cross-country skiing, track and field meet, soccer, the new Minus Soccer Association, East King Soccer Association, snowshoeing, tennis, basketball, ball hockey, cyclocross biking, which I don't even know what that is, uh, new Minus Celebration Days, and go, it goes on. If you go to the website, there's just goes on and on and on. It's a place you go, I want to go. Don't you want to go there today? Let's all go. It's a great place. It's a great place. <laughs> So, then it says on the website, the park includes year-round seasonal maintenance and signage. I thought that's an odd thing when I was reading about the, the website of this park that I was drawn to that sentence. The park includes year-round seasonal maintenance and signage. Now, I have no doubt that this is a beautiful park. In fact, when some of our grandchildren come, I'm thinking that would be a great place to go for a picnic. And I was drawn into the park and the beauty of it. But the thing that stood out to me was not what I was expecting. The further I walked down that little road that goes down the hill and goes down into the park, and some of you have been, you know where I mean, on that little road? Check it out. But I'm on foot and I'm walking and my eyes are opening and I'm listening and all I can see is sign after sign that's about this tall and my eyes are drawn to this one and I walk a little further and I see another one and then another one and you know what the signs say? Don't do this. None of that. We'll have none of this here. We'll have none of this there. Don't, don't go here. Don't go there. I think, this is a joke. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I imagine there are 15 of those kinds of signs as you make your way down into that park and this beautiful place. And I thought, really? And then, compared to that, what my eyes fell upon as I returned to the New Minus Baptist Church was this great big sign over the church. You know what it said? Those of you who go there should know. Welcome. Welcome. Interesting. What our eyes see when we're not expecting. A place, if I just read to you all those things about the park, and you still should go because I'm planning to go, whether they have all those signs or not. But the point that I want to make to you this morning is, I've been thinking about the signs that are over our churches. There are visible signs and invisible signs. You see, there was a sign over that poor man who was half dead on the side of the road, somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho. He had a sign over him. And you could imagine what you would write if you saw the sign that was over him. What would be some of the things? He's laying there. What's the sign from him? What's the, what would he write on that sign at that point? Pardon? Help. 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 What else? In pain. I'm in pain. What else? Save me. Save me. I've been wronged. I've been wronged. What else? I need clothes. I need clothes. <laughs> I need clothes. There are 
signs that we read and there are signs that are invisible you see those religious leaders if you do your hermeneutics and you do your exegesis and you do all that you'll discover there were probably good reasons religious reasons the laws ceremonial laws cleansing laws or all kinds of reasons why those religious leaders could not go over and touch or handle or rescue if they thought the man was dead But, as they were trying to obey their own signs, they were kept from serving and ministering at a very basic human need. There is another sign over the most unsuspecting hero of the story. We can't imagine what it would have been for Jesus to talk about the Samaritan who came along. It's almost like it would say somebody who was... You can fill in the blank of what you think of an ethnic group, one against the other today in the Middle East. You can imagine what if the hero of the story was the opposite side. I bet it got quite quiet when Jesus is telling the story, and then the Samaritan comes along. You see, the sign over that man laying there in the ditch was, Have mercy on me. And he did. In fact, the word says that when the Samaritan saw the man, he was filled with something. Compassion. He was filled with compassion. It went beyond human compassion, I believe. We find examples. Do you remember when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem? And some of us are remembering that as we came through Palm Sunday and we recall different times when Jesus came. What is his response to the city of Jerusalem? He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Why, he said, you've stoned the prophets. You've killed those who've come with the word. He also wept at the tomb. It wasn't the tomb, but it was the place where someone who is his dear friend, who was his name? What's his name? Lazarus. Lazarus, he's weeping. We've all taken that little study that says, what's the shortest Bible verse? And, you know, Jesus wept. The compassion of God. The Samaritan had compassion. This is the mark, in my opinion, of the ministry of Jesus. He was a teacher. Dr. Jensen would remind us of that. He was a preacher. He was a healer, a miracle worker. He walked and served with compassion. He sought to answer the question that he was asked with a story... And it ended up that he actually asked another question. And good teachers know how to ask questions sometimes that people aren't answering or are not asking in order to answer a question. And the story is a story that had a hero, a hero that none of the hearers would have ever expected. You see, the text describes the hero who is the Samaritan. The question is not who is my neighbor, but rather, who can I be a neighbor to? We need to think about this question at an individual level today, but also as a corporate level, as the body of Christ. There are different images in the scripture about the body of Christ, the church. The church is the body of Christ, the church is the building of God, the church is the bride of Christ. But I'd like you to think with me for, and it won't be too much of a stretch if I say, could you think of the church as an inn? 
I see the church as a wonderful community of faith, a place of prayer, a place of support, a place of worship, a place of learning, a place of outreach, a place of rich Bible study, a place of mission in its context and throughout this world. In some ways, I see the church as that beautiful park that I began to talk about at the beginning of the message. A beautiful park with all the beauty and wonder of things to be done and the excitement of learning and growing together. But just like the park, I see a lot of signage that sometimes disturbs me. Signs that aren't always written. And some, unfortunately, that are. Signs that don't always have welcome here. Signs sometimes that are rather disturbing. Where is the inn? And what kind of a sign is over the inn? You see, this scripture tells me that loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind cannot be divorced from loving people. If we say God loves us, how does he love us? The scripture says, in that while we were still sinners, God sent his son. He reconciled us to himself. He died for us. The word became flesh and loved us to the end. And that's what Holy Week is all about. There will be a cross. Please stay at the cross on Friday. Please stay at the cross on Friday. Go to the tomb and rejoice on Sunday. But I dare you to stay at the cross on Friday. The church will be at its best when it looks around itself and asks, who can I be? Who can we be a neighbor to? You see, to be a neighbor, we have to have an attitude that says people are the priority. I can think of a young teen in my living room in Grand Bay who had come to our home, friends with our daughter, who said to me after the crowd left, please don't tell the rest of them, but I've been reading the Gospel of Mark and I'd love to talk to you. But I know right now that I'm not living the kind of a life that would even allow me to talk about this Jesus. I said, oh yes, we can talk about him. That worked into months and then years of conversations. I see newcomers to Canada. We talked a bit about this last week with Jill and Josh and who can we be a neighbor to in front of us? If you haven't checked that little video out, check it out about what the city of St. John and a portion of that and the ministry of newcomers. We've all been considering that, I think, in ways in our churches here in the valley and near to us. And some of you have been deeply involved with newcomers to Canada. Who can we be a neighbor to? But they're not Christian. Or they're this or they're that. Or they don't read our Bible and should we? And I remember a pastor being a pastor on the South Shore in the Christmas baskets and one person complaining, well, why are we giving those baskets away? These people won't come to our church. We don't give them away because they come to our church. We give them because there's a need. But somebody's going to abuse them. Somebody might get two. I said they can get three if they want (laughs) Do you stop doing good because somebody abuses a system? No, you don't. 
You do good because it's in us to do good because God's Spirit calls us to do good. I see the neighbor who lost his wife two, three streets or houses down. John was the pastor. The, the older man who walked hand in hand with his wife for years, ate many Christmas dinners together, celebrated the birth of children and saw the family grow up. One son, his wife dies. And then unsuspecting, the son, in a freak accident while working on a host, dies. And the man, completely alone. We can be a neighbor to people like that. We can extend the love and the grace of God. I see homeless on the streets of Kentville that I'm tempted to just walk, just drive by every time I go home. And there they are. I see them at Tim's and other places in the town. And I think, oh well, thank God for open arms. They're doing their work. And I'm convicted to think, well, what could I do? Or what should we all be doing? Or is there some way to respond to the need? And I'm thinking, what am I drawn to in compassion? I think of the Sunday morning in our church in Grand Bay when I watched a particular man come through the door who was a supervisor at the Irving plant. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting that he's coming to our church. And then later, as I said to my wife, and we're standing there, we had an evangelist that morning who was preaching. Monty Lewis, you would have known Monty Lewis, talking about prison fellowship and ministry. And I said to Gail, I just nudged her, and I said, get ready, get ready. Because we had a strong sense of the move of the Spirit of God in the worship. And that man that morning came to know Christ and we were privileged to be there to lead him. We can be a neighbor to these people even when maybe they don't have everything all together. But they're being drawn into this ministry. I see the woman of the town in the, in the little church that we serve, not little, but in the town of Liverpool. Well known in the town for what I would call a street Walker. And the chair of the deacon's board, his wife, brings her to our church. They were late coming that morning. They had to come and sit toward the front. And as Vivian brought in this woman, the woman's close to Vivian, but the church had a collective asthma attack. (laughs) Invisible signs. What are you expecting if you're going to serve the Lord? What is your criteria for the people who would dare come and sit in somebody else's pew? My goodness, in Israel, on one of the trips, we just stopped the bus at the ancient city of Nain. And I thought of Jesus who went in to the city of Nain and raised a widow's only son from the dead. He had compassion on her. Compassion. I see Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. She's not dead. She's asleep. Takes her by the hand. I see people all around me who have signs above them. I see people all around me who have signs above them that say, I wish somebody would have mercy on me. I wish somebody wouldn't judge me. I wish somebody would just talk to me. I wish somebody wouldn't call me a name. I wish somebody would see me as a human being seeking to know love, affection, God, Christ. I want to say to you this morning, 
I cannot minister to everybody and neither can you. And as churches, neither can individual churches minister to everybody. The beauty of the story of the Samaritan, which I will now call not the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan, says as he went along, he came across the man. I don't have to go looking and neither do you. And you've heard me say this before. People will be in your path. Do you know, our New Testament scholars would spend some time on this and tell us that what in the world was anybody doing walking alone between Jerusalem and Jericho? Just says a man. Didn't they? He was with his friends. He might just says a man was going. You see, the church sometimes wants to say, and I'm tempted to say when someone's in a tough situation, well, this is just stupid. If he wouldn't have been on his own anyway, he shouldn't have been. Look at him. What did he do that for? Well, why would we bother to help him? We've helped him before, and look what happened. It's this, it's that. What? Well, we can't do that. We judge people rather than serve them. But there is a place, a place of ministry that we can bring people to. That night, when Vivian brought the woman from the town and had the collective asthma attack in the church, she didn't bring her back to our church. She took her that night to the Pentecostal church where she found a welcome. Because the socioeconomic class of the Pentecostal church allowed for her to be brought and welcomed. But the socioeconomic class of the church that I served at that time, it's changed, but at that time, it was... And the town knew who belonged where. You'll be called to serve in those settings. And you'll be called to change the name over churches to welcome all, I hope. And you'll do that by your own embrace. The Samaritan took the man to an inn. Were there many inns on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho? I don't think. But he took him to an inn, and I think he did so because he knew the innkeeper. He trusted the innkeeper. You see, you can do what you can. He took the oil, his own oil, he put wine, he takes the money. You know the story. He takes him, he does what he can. He takes him to an inn. When we're called to serve people, we do what we can, but we take him to a place. I can't help the man who lost his, his wife and then a son, but there are people in our church who've been through serious grief. They could help that man. There are people who know about the joys and the sufferings and all that go on. That's what the inn's about. That's what the church is about. That's what exploration of faith is about. Are there any signs in your heart or life or in the life of your church that says, no, you can't come here. We'd like to think that you could, but actually you get that together and then come. Will you let people come and explore their spirituality and their faith? And if they don't come through to Christ like you'd like, will you still serve them with compassion? Will you do that? Will you create an environment as a leader that will welcome people? Anna and I were laughing when I visited the church at Beach and Grove in London when I stayed with you and Peter. Peter was the pastor. Peter was leading an evening Bible study. And Ed and Gail and I are there and I'm thinking, okay, there's a man that just kind of come out and said, I'm out the corner of my eye. He's mulling about it. Think he's going to take anything? Peter, you so hello. If you'd like to take a seat, it's okay. And I'm thinking, well, really? And then there was somebody else. But it was, you developed the ability to welcome people who were not like the rest of the people in the church. So, it's a challenge for me to have mercy. Some of you, I expect, in this very room have a sign over you that says, Have mercy on me. 
And some of you have a sign over your heart that says, I want to have mercy. We can offer judgment and withhold mercy if we focus on the wrong question. And the question is not, who is my neighbor? As much as it is, who can I be a neighbor to? He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He transported him on his own donkey. He paid for extra help. And the expectation was for continued care. He was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Is there a price to be paid to care for others? Yes. Of Jesus, it is said that he laid aside the glory that was his and took upon himself the form of a man, a servant, and came among us and lived his life and endured a cruel death upon a cross. Somehow, although we may not understand all the ramifications of that, shed precious blood for the remission of sin. And in theology you will read about, think about, all about theories of what happened at that cross. But simply put, it was for you and it was for me. It cost him everything. God takes the responsibility for it all. And in the blackest of night of the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, stay in it. Stay in the darkness and weep a little. And the unexpected joy of Mary. They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where He is. And I just shiver right now to think of Jesus saying, what did He say? What's the first word He said? Mary. He called her by her name. Mary. Price the ultimate. And it will cost you and it will cost me to serve him. And that's the truth. It's not sugar-coated. It's plain, hard work sometimes feeling like we're in a briar patch. You're going to be scraped and bruised. You could be abused in the service of others. But somehow it's not about us. And if you think church is all about you, stay with it long enough to find out that while it's about you, it's not all about you. Where's the inn? Let's pray. Lord, people have signs over them. They're half dead by the side of the road. Some people have all kinds of things that we don't want to get involved in because we're afraid or we're not sure we can handle it. But God, you place people in our path, and when you do, give us the courage and the strength, fill us with your compassion to do what we can and then to take them to others who can help. 
Help us to be your church. Help us to be the body of Christ. Teach us not to judge what has happened to somebody else along their path, but simply to serve them, to bless them, and to lead them to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.